This is Alex. I'm from Boston. Hello, this is Jackie, and I'm from Houston. Hey, this is Rahul from Stanford. And we are the Premier Chess. Hello, Chelsea fans, and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea. It's another podcast episode of heartache, pain, stress, frustration. I can find a lot more synonyms to describe this, but I think it may take the whole podcast. I'm going to introduce my co-host here, Rahul. Rahul, how are you doing? I am doing fine. I mean, at this point, you you said it a few episodes ago, we're just numb to this. Uh, So... Let, can we just skip to the good part? No pun intended. I'm not sure if there's much of a good part going on with the <laughs> Chelsea men's team, at least. But I think good news is we'll talk about maybe the women's team and some other things going on around Chelsea that might be good news. But obviously, we'll start with Tottenham. And before we get into that, I want to address our coaches conference before the game and some interesting statements about preseason, Rahul. Apparently, some senior players have come out and said preseason was not up to expectation it wasn't what they wanted it was not the best quality obviously i'm paraphrasing here rephrasing here but what do you make of graham potts's comments about thomas tuchel's preseason honestly when i first heard it i thought of thomas tuchel saying back in in july i think it was after the arsenal game and and he kind of also alluded to the fact that it wasn't an ideal preseason we had to travel to vegas we had to travel to charlotte we had to travel to orlando and so i think he just felt that we were spending too much time on a flight or whatever be the case but ultimately it was preseason and and that's part of a preseason for a big club so uh, i think he acknowledged that it's not ideal but we deal with it fast forward what are we now in in February? So six, seven months on, and for Graham Potter to come out and say that, honestly, Jackie, I think it's it's BS. Uh, I'm not going to say the full form. I think it's BS because he's now been here since September, and yes, yeah. okay, preseason is a is a is an important part of any professional team's build up for a season. But don't tell me now that we lost to Southampton because we didn't have an ideal preseason. Yep. Don't tell me now that we are dropping points and we're not able to score because of preseason. That's yeah. that's just a cop-out in my opinion. And, and it's honestly a PR stunt because suddenly it gets you talking about, oh, the preseason and he's blaming, blaming Thomas Tuchel even though he didn't mention Thomas Tuchel's name. Own up to the fact that your team haven't been good enough and it's not been good enough right now Don't talk about what happened back in the summer because that's just a cheap, cheap excuse that, honestly, no professional manager should should lean on. No, look, and to defend Graham Potter a little bit, I think he has owned up to the results and the performances being down to him as well. But like you said, I think it is, whether it's a PR stunt, Rahul, or he's just actually had a conversation with the players, and yes, it was a rushed preseason because World Cup was there and a lot of traveling and whatnot. It just comes across as a cheap shot and adding layers as here's another thing that could have derailed why we're not getting the performances. And I'm sitting here going, there's so many better ways to explain that. And at the top of the list, the best thing you could have done is not mention it. There is no need to even bring that up. Whatever the players have told you, even if it's true, it just seems like a cheap shot, like I said, and it just sets the tone for the press conference. And then from there, 
the Tottenham game. But look, we can dissect that more because there are more excuses that come in after the game. So let's go right into the to the starting eleven. He goes with Kepa and Goal. I think that's pretty standard at this point. Ben Chilwell, Kulabali, Silva, Reese James. Brilliant back four, I would say. Maybe Kulabali is one that might stand out these days. But uh, on paper, a very, very strong back four that should be able to keep a clean sheet. Uh, midfield pivot of Enzo Fernandez and Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I think we had talked about him coming back into the mix, and we'll talk about him a little bit later. Uh, a three in front of them of Raheem Sterling on the left, Jao Felix in the middle. Akim Ziyech on the right. That's a very, very interesting one that continues to persist. And Kai Havertz, I bet you, Rahul, he's got some kind of photographs or some kind of knowledge <laughs> about Graham Potter and the rest of the Chelsea board. But whatever happens, he seems to start the, the game. But what do you make of the starting 11 then? It's a decent lineup. I think you know, we'd predicted maybe 9 out of the 11 because just based on what we've seen. But Koulibaly was a surprising one. And, and it's surprising because not... He hasn't been good in the last couple of games. More surprising because uh, Benoit Badishili hasn't been bad. I think he was eventually dropped from the lineup because of uh, Champions League rules and he wasn't registered for that squad against Dortmund. But that has turned into him losing his spot in the first 11. And again, if the communication behind the scenes is right, then yes, his confidence doesn't get knocked. But all of a sudden, for Koulibaly to just walk back in after... An okay performance against Dortmund. I'm not going to say he was he was the brightest player out there, but uh, it was just a little shocking because Koulibaly has been a little suspect, and Badashile and Thiago Silva have come up and formed a good partnership in where we've kept, I think, most of our clean sheets in the last month or so. So it was surprising, but again, I think you look at Koulibaly's strengths and the fact that Harry Kane drops a little bit deeper, Koulibaly likes to step up, maybe those two go hand in hand, but... Uh, I just worry about the confidence of the likes of Benoit Batishila, who's not done anything wrong. Yeah, and I want to talk about Graham Potter's starting eleven a little bit more, especially when we talk about substitutions in the second half. But it feels like Rahul, he still doesn't know his first team eleven. He's kind of picking players that could do a job, should do a job. Last week, this guy didn't work. Maybe this week, this guy will work. Uh, Kai Havertz is the only one that seems to start every position, and of course, you look at Hakim Ziyech and, you know, admirable that he was able to not get a loan move and still come in and do the job. But ultimately, if he was halfway out the door, you would imagine <laughs> let him go train with the reserves or get off the pitch. Because while I think he's a good footballer, if you already did not have him in the plans in January, are you now going to integrate him to a squad and not going to have him in the plans for the summer and next season? A lot of weird things that don't make sense to me, but it's kind of what Chelsea is at the moment. A lot of it doesn't make sense. And we're trying to find the good words to describe it without being rude or vulgar or disrespectful, but ultimately it just, it confuses me a lot on paper, but let's talk a little bit about the game. And I think more of the same from Chelsea, Rahul, I think we start the first 10, 15 minutes very well. And then we just have no ideas. We don't know what to do. Not really having creativity as far as getting shots on target. In fact, I think you and I were messaging back and forth and, you complain that they don't even shoot and finally somebody takes it upon themselves. I think it was Raheem Sterling to have a pop at the goalkeeper because in all fairness, Tottenham were playing their second choice goalkeeper and you want to test him, but it seems like we forgot how to shoot for the most part of the game. We, we've forgotten how to shoot for the most part of a year, man. It's been, it's been bad in the fact that we, we under Thomas Tuchel, at least we would nick a goal or two here and there, but 
it's been dry in the last last month or so. I think it's what four goals in 2023, and we're coming up to the end of the second month of the year. Uh, Real Madrid have scored more in 70 odd minutes in in a game than than we have all season long in in this year. So the problem is pretty clear in the fact that we're not scoring enough, and and that's one of the problems. But the other problems are are pretty evident. I think you you touched on he doesn't know the first eleven. He's playing a system that maybe doesn't get the best out of his two best players. Uh, in my opinion, I would say Thiago, uh, I beg your pardon, Reese James and Ben Chilwell are two of the best wingbacks or attacking fullbacks, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and you're not using them to their strength. And I'm not advocating that we go back to a back three, but look at Tottenham, right? And and they come into this game with the back three. They come with two wingbacks. It's a moment for us to get a result. Why not just match them and say, you know what, Reese James Benchel will push back Emerson, push back Ben Davies, because you two are obviously the better fullbacks, wingbacks in this situation. And let's see if you can create some havoc, create some of situation where it might not be Reese James or Ben Chilwell, but a Raheem Sterling is in the box and it falls to him and he scores. Or Hakeem Ziyech, if you want to start him, yeah. uh, which I don't really agree with. But just do something different to get a result because at this point, anything would be better than what we're going through right now. And if you get a point playing a back three, all of a sudden you say, you know what, guys, let's just continue with this and let's see towards the end of the season where we are. And then we can reassess in the summer with our great preseason that Graham Potter will have uh, and go back to a back four. But it's just, we're forcing something that's not working. We keep trying to do you know, do the best with it and it's not working out. And it's frustrating because you would expect someone that's being paid that much. And I hate to bring that up because money shouldn't determine what kind of output you get. But in this case, I mean, you made the jump from Brighton. Now you're getting 12 million pounds a year. Be the coach that we know you can be and and do something different. And honestly, I'm just, I'm just frustrated, Jackie, that it's come down to, Oh, we lost 2-0 to Tottenham. All right, let's move on to Leeds. Let's give him two more games. Let's give him, you know, a month. Let's give him two months. It's like he he's honestly one of the luckiest coaches that Chelsea has had in the last 20 odd years because he's benefiting from time. He's benefiting from the new owners. He's benefiting from a squad full of of star players. And no one's really in the boardroom saying he's the problem. They're like, oh, no, no, let's back him. Let's back him. Let's back him. And I, I don't know what he's got, but he's definitely got that luck. I like the way you describe that whole segment. And I think what's important to note is Graham Potter was brought in because, at least from what we understand, Rahul, is he's a tactical coach. He's able to adapt. He's able to change things. And so far, yes, he's changed 11 players on the pitch, and we've got the most players that have ever played in a Premier League season, I think we've used like 30-something of them. But ultimately, I think one thing that was fantastic when Thomas Tuchel came in was we were scoring goals under Frank Lampard, but we were bleeding goals. And Thomas Tuchel said, you can score two, three goals, but if you're conceding four or five goals, you're losing a game. I'd rather change it to stop bleeding goals, score one, and maybe that's the problem is just having less goals, but ultimately you keep a clean sheet. With Graham Potter, you've started to see we don't score goals, but we also don't keep clean sheets. So what's the point? Change something. And like you said, just stick to those draws. Get solid at the back. 
get strong, go two, three games, solid games. Nobody can break down your defense. You have a chance there. You have a chance. Then you go, okay, I've got the foundation now where I can trust these four or five guys at the back where they don't concede. Now let me tweak that front three or four guys to figure out how I can get a goal and now start winning games. But it just seems to be trial and error. And we just kind of figure out sticking to the same formation, which is surprising. But I think you did a good job describing what we're going through overall. And we'll come into maybe the key moment of the first half, which is Hakim Ziyech's red card. And I think I don't really like talking about referees and VAR because I've expressed my opinion many times here. But it was one of those strange situations where Okay, it was a heated moment. And and by the way, for a London derby, Rahul, it was not very heated in that first half. It's kind of flat energy. Chelsea didn't really care. Tottenham was trying to rile us up. And we're like, eh, you guys can rile us up. We don't have any energy or fight left in us. I guess we've lost most of it. But the Hakim Ziyech moment, it seemed to me to be a push. And then a red card comes out. And then it gets revoked. And then it comes back as a yellow card. Lots of confusion. I think the refereeing overall was just weird. But I'll I'll give you a moment to share your thoughts there. That's that's VAR. That's just bizarre all over the place. It's chaotic. It's confusing. Uh, Hakim Ziyech maybe should have known better because you end up, you know, and I don't think he meant to hit him in the face, but the way the action goes, his hand slips and eventually hits him in the cheek. Uh, and when you end up doing that, it's opening yourself up and and your team up to being at the risk of losing a player. Uh, but I was happy to see the fact that. You know, VAR said red card, and then said, actually, you know what? Go look at the screen yourself to decide that. And ultimately, the right thing did happen. He shouldn't be doing that, but it also wasn't violent conduct, as they call it, because Emerson Royale must have been hit like that by his kids a million times in, at home. So I don't think it was that dangerous or or something that could be uh, deemed as a red card. But Ziet should know better. Uh, and the other person that should have known better was Graham Potter because Ziyech should not have come back in the second half. He he really shouldn't have, and we'll talk about subs in just a moment here. I want to talk about coaching first before we go to subs, Rahul. And part of coaching and what makes some coaches more brilliant than other coaches is that 15 minutes at halftime where your team's not doing so well, it's up against them or they're flat energy or they just can't create anything you have 15 minutes with them to drill your tactics in, make a sub, and we'll talk about subs in a minute here. Do something different where you can come out. Rahul, they had 15 minutes with Graham Potter. The team comes out, and I think 25 seconds within leaving Graham Potter's presence, Tottenham score a goal. And it's Oliver Skip. Charity FC comes out, gives Oliver Skip his first ever goal for Tottenham. A, a good shot, a good strike, but it just shows... We don't clear the ball. We lose focus. We're easily beaten to the second ball. Just in shambles. But what can you say about spending 15 minutes with your manager and losing focus within 25 seconds of leaving his presence? I get what you're saying, and I, I don't disagree with you. The fact that when you come back from the second half, and I hate to go back to the second half of this game last season away to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium where Chelsea were not the better side in the first half. We came back in the second half. A couple of changes were made, like you said, and we ended up winning that game 3-0. Now, fast forward, and it's a similar situation. It's nil-nil. Chelsea maybe were the better side in the sense that we had more of the ball, but didn't really create much. I think at halftime, we had two shots on target. Tottenham had none. So by those numbers, you would say maybe Chelsea had the better opportunities, but not really. But anyway, like you said, you come back from halftime, 
you're expecting some fire, you're expecting something different. And I don't entirely place this on Graham Potter. Uh, I know it's surprising because I, I like to take any opportunity to to put the blame there. But you look at that play, Jackie, and I think right from the offset, it's panic where we lose the first ball. It falls to Richarlison. He passes it into, I think it's Harry Kane who gives it to Kulusevsky. Eventually, the shot comes and Kepa spills it. Enzo then picks it up. There's no communication. No one's saying, leave it for Kepa. Let him grab it. Let him wrap it up. Enzo panics. He clears it, looks up and sees Jao Felix, who's running in a different direction from where the ball is going. Oliver Skip, to his credit, is very sharp, you know, beats Jao Felix to the ball and then hits it. I think it was more for, let me just see what happens. I think you and I have had those moments, not at the highest level, but, you know, we say, you know what? F it. Let's just go for it and, and see what happens. And it was a good hit. I think he Oliver Skip himself comes out and says later on it wasn't the cleanest strike, which is rubbing a little bit more salt in our wounds. But uh, he hits it, and at that point, you know a shot coming from outside the box. Kepa is usually not going to be saving that. Uh, but Kepa should be doing better on that shot and at least tipping it over or, or getting something on it. But, hey, that's the luck we're in right now. And like you said, 25, 30 seconds later, we're 1-0 down. And all of a sudden, it's a whole different game because I think every Chelsea fan and Graham Potter and Todd Bowley and Berat Bali knew if Chelsea concede the first goal in this game, they're 100% going to go on and lose. And the players, the guys on the pitch know where are we going to get a goal, especially when we're one goal behind. Now we have to score two. I think it just drains the confidence more than they could even imagine. And so... Definitely one that's tough to swallow. I know you wanted to talk about substitutions. I'm going to give it to you here in just a second. One of the things I forgot to mention in the first half was Thiago Silva's injury, Rahul. I think that's one that's important to talk about before we talk about the substitutions. He's been a man on form, 38, 39 years old. Doesn't seem to be slowing down. Unfortunately, he goes in to make a good tackle and between a stuck foot, Harry Kane touching his foot, Kulabali in the mix... It kind of seems like an injury. I don't know much about it just yet. I know they're doing some scans. We'll find out more about it. But I wanted to ask you a question because it's all down to changes. You spent a few minutes praising Fadi Ashil and how good he's been and he's been on form. But then Wesley Fofana comes in for that game. And Wesley Fofana, to his credit, is a good footballer. But Raul, he's been out with a long-term injury. Is this changing for a smart move? Is it similar to Thiago Silva player? Or is this, I've got 31 players... I've got to give everybody a few minutes to keep them a little bit happy. It's uh, I honestly don't know what it is because at that point, you have an opportunity to put a man in Badishile, like I've said earlier, who's got some form. He's got some rhythm. He's understanding how to play in that defense. And all of a sudden, you chuck him out. And maybe it's because him and Kulabali end up playing the same position and you bring in Fofana. But... It, Fofana doesn't need to be playing this game. Yes, he's coming back. He got 45 minutes or something like that against Southampton. You have to play the players that are in form and the ones that can get you the result or can read moments like uh, in this game where, you know, there are moments where if someone who's a little bit match fit or sharper, they, they read it a little bit. Not to say Fofana didn't do that, but I would have brought, brought a Badishile on, but again, that's that's not my call. Uh, but Thiago Silva is, if Jackie, if you look at our squad, I mean, forget the the values. You would say Thiago Silva is the most valuable player, right? 
he's going to be a huge miss, I think. And I hope that when we get the final news, it's a short-term injury rather than a long-term injury. So if he misses Leeds, okay, we're going to have to move on without him. And we have a lot of depth there. We just talked about 31 players. But I would hate for him to miss Dortmund and miss more games after that because in terms of value, maybe not financially, like you said, but in terms of what he brings week in, week out to that team, it is a giant gaping hole in an already leaking defense. And so I'm and, very worried about him being out of out for too long. Yeah, I, I definitely am too. And and that's a, a whole problem in itself when we're here sitting and talking about a 38, 39-year-old being our best player uh, after we've spent millions on on you know new talent so uh coming back to it uh, hopefully it's not a, a bad injury and and the substitution i think that was not what lost us the game but right. certainly that's one that you look around and you say well you had a, a, an option that was a little bit more suited but wasn't to be it definitely wasn't to be but speaking of more changes that he brought in i think let's talk about us being a goal down and some of the changes he made and i think i'll say something a little bit controversial over here and and everybody has their right to their opinion. I can get slated online for this one. Enzo Fernandez and Ruben Loftus-Cheek played the pivot together. And in my opinion, I thought Ruben Loftus-Cheek was the better of the two. I thought he offered more going forward. I thought he did not give the ball away. I thought he was strong. I know he's been out with injury, but it seems like price tag played an issue here or maybe he's the new shiny object, but Enzo stays on the pitch and Ruben comes off. And Ruben comes off, and Rahul, you look at the bench, and you're going, okay, maybe a Conor Gallagher might come in. Maybe even an attacking player. We play with just Enzo in the pivot because we want to get something. But we actually bring on Dennis Zakaria. And, and nothing against Dennis Zakaria. I think he's fantastic, and I think he's done a lot for Chelsea. But it's like taking Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who is driving us forward and making those momentums towards goal, and bringing someone who's a little more defensive. So I start questioning what Potter is trying to do. And then Hakim Ziyech comes off for Mason Mount. I think that's a fine substitution. But you look at the likes of Mudrik on the bench, Madueke on the bench. Maybe you want to bring some pace for players that can get in behind Tottenham. But I'll give you a second here to share your thoughts. I'm not sure I agree with his substitutions and how they're working out now. It's it's bad game management in the sense that you make the substitutions. I think it was around the hour mark or a little bit later. Yep. We conceded a goal 25 seconds into the second half. We knew going into the second half even before the goal came that we needed one at least to win this game we now knew 30 seconds later we needed one to get a draw and we waited an extra 15 17 minutes to make substitutions and then we bring on one attacking player for Hakim Ziyech who should have gone off 15 minutes prior and then like you said Dennis Zakaria who's just coming back from injury and forget for a second that He's a CDM, right? He's someone that comes in maybe more to to protect the back four. He hasn't played a single minute with Enzo Fernandez yet. He hasn't played a single minute with Jao Felix or or the, some of the attacking players that we had out there in the sense as a team. And you put him in there and you say, we're chasing a goal. Let's see what happens. <laughs> when you mentioned Connor Gallagher, who has played with Enzo, played the first game with him, I think played the second game with him. They maybe have developed... 2% of an understanding versus nothing between sure. him and Dennis Zakaria. And now Dennis Zakaria has to figure out what's going on. And yes, maybe in training they've worked a little bit, but right. it's different in game. And we know what we get out of Connor. So I would have preferred that substitution too. Mason Mount, I think, offered a little bit more coming in 
Uh, and I don't think the bar was too high by Hakim Ziyech, but uh, at that point, I think I would have brought on another striker. I would have said, Aubameyang, you go in too. I know you haven't played much, but I definitely think you have 30 minutes in you. Uh, And like I said last week against Southampton, what did we have to lose? We were losing the game anyway. Might as well change something, throw a couple of attacking players on, create a little bit of chaos. Maybe a red card happens for them. Something happens. Something right. changes the game. And all of a sudden, we're we're pushing for an equalizer. But we wait, we wait, we wait. We pass the ball around. We pass it back. We're, there's no urgency. No one's trying to get in behind. It's just, it's very predictable. There's no overlapping runs from the, the fullbacks. It's... Give it to Enzo, give it to Kulabali, give it to Fofana, give it back to Keppa, give it to Graham Potter on the side, let him juggle the ball a little bit. It's just it's just so uninspiring and so boring to watch. I mean, we woke up early, and I know we always give credit to the West Coast fans who woke up even earlier, but at this point, is there even a point waking up this early? Because we know what's going to happen. That is such a fantastic question because you start to think about us, the fans, that Yes, I'm not in the stadium and paying to go watch the game because we're living on the other side of the world. But I think TV rights and revenue, right? Every one of us that tunes in and pays a subscription for NBC and Peacock, if you're here in the US, if you're in other places, Supersport in Africa and different things like that, where you're trying to get your contribution in a weird way to help contribute to this Chelsea team and rebuilding. It's like, why? Why do I pay for these things and wake up and watch this? But look, we love Chelsea deep down and we know that we'll overcome this one day. I don't know if that's going to be with Graham Potter or not, <laughs> but we'll cross that bridge at a different time. One thing I will say, Rahul, is Mason Mount is a man that has taken a lot of stick for different things. And we talk about him a lot on this podcast. And I think while I don't think he was tremendously creative or maybe even chipped in with too much going forward, one thing I saw and one thing I really appreciate about him, and I, and I want to point it out for fans who are listening is he actually brought that aggression. He brought that steel. He brought that I hate Tottenham. He used a couple of really nice words towards <laughs> the referee and some of the other Tottenham players that I'm not going to repeat on the podcast. But it shows me that he's happy. He wants to do everything he can to be a Chelsea player, which I hope that they do that for him. But also shows me that he cares, which something like this must be hurting him to watch. Growing up as a Chelsea boy through and through, we don't lose to Tottenham. We don't play football in this term. We've had some tough times, but we've never gone through something like this where we just don't look like we care. So I was calling maybe for Conor Gallagher because I know Conor Gallagher brings in a lot of aggression and would definitely help with that heated momentum. But nothing to happen there. Game goes on. Harry Kane gets a second goal. And from there, you're wondering what we're going to do. And Rahul, this is what irritated me the most. With nine, eight, nine minutes left on the clock, you finally see Obama Yang stretching, warming up. He's about to come into the game. And I was like, we're 2 0 now. And it's a little bit too late. What are we trying to achieve? And then you see Mudrik come on and he has this face of, we've lost the game. Why are you even putting me onto the. I mean, <laughs> all the steps that you're seeing from Graham Potter and his staff, it's, it's so questionable as to you want to motivate this team, but some of your actions may be demotivating them. 100%. It's. There's no inspiration from the sideline and say what you want, right? The players gave it their all and, uh, you know, we we put out a fight. There was no fight. There was an average Tottenham team and, and it's it's tough to say that because they won the game, but they were an average team that honestly a better Chelsea team, even two, five, ten, ten percent at the most 
would have gotten the result out of them. But it was an average Tottenham team and a much worse Chelsea team uh, that showed up that just wanted to go through the motions and wanted to get back to West London to get back home. And I don't know what, talk about playing video games or whatever you want. Um, So Tottenham were win the game but honestly i i really feel that if we had come in with a little bit more fire with a little bit more of a plan we get at least a goal or at least a point out of it versus losing everything and and going another week saying all right well maybe leads will be where it will happen well i have no evidence for that to be the case because i'm fully expecting us to show up on saturday and go through the motions, control the game, Leeds hit, a, hit us on a counter, they get a goal, and suddenly we panic, and it's the 89th minute before anything happens in terms of changes, and then we lose the game. It seems to be a record that's on repeat, and it's not a good record because it's kind of stuck there, and it's kind of hurting my ears at this point in time. But <laughs> it is where we are at this point in the game, and I don't know what can improve. And Rahul, I look at this, history dictates, salaries dictate, sheets dictate, Training grounds dictate, maybe not stadium. I'll give that to the the Bottleham team. But all of this on paper dictates that the players alone should be able to do a job. And so I need to give a little bit of criticism, negativity towards our players, whereas like the 11 of you plus the substitutes should be able to do better than you're doing today. But ultimately, it comes down to a few things that we've talked about, which is tactics, game management, substitutions, so many different little things, and dare I say, the energy of a manager on the sideline needs to change as well. And I know Graham Potter is a passive human being, and he's not going to scream at his players, but again, sometimes actions speak louder than words, and some of the things he's doing are not really working out for the players. But look, I could be wrong, and we'll go from there, but ultimately, we lose this game. It's another one that we have to swallow. I think we understood that. I, we're learning that the, ma- the management and the staff above him are going to give him a little bit of time. But then we go on after the game, Rahul, and we start to hear post-match conferences. And I think I get a little bit irritated, angry, to the point where I'm like, what is going on? And and I'll list a few things that have come out after the match, right? Excuses go as far as he didn't get to have a preseason. This is overall so far that he's, he's come up with a few of these things. We had a lot of injuries. Okay, fair enough. I need a little bit more time. Okay, six months in, I, I don't know how much more time you need to do this. Then people coming back from injury. Okay, now I have too many players and we signed some of the best world-class talent because, you know, I didn't get my transfer window. I don't really understand. It's like every time you cross off one of the excuses, another one rears its ugly head and you're wondering what next, Rahul? And I know you texted me what will happen next. What's the next wave of stunts that Chelsea and management will come up with? So here, here's the timeline, and, and I'm sure everyone will, will have seen it already, but we'll have a day off because, you know, we put in so much energy and effort into the game. So we'll have a day off, no training. Then there'll be training picks or pictures on Tuesday. Actually, we saw some today, so uh, my timeline's a little bit off already. But we'll get training pictures on Tuesday. Then we'll get the social media you know team showing the players enjoying training and having a great time and smiles and then we'll get a picture of Boli and Iqbali standing next to Potter who by the way show up to training more often than most of our players do <laughs> uh, then there'll be pictures or videos of Joe Felix and Pulisic putting the ball in the top corner in uh, training 
And then on Friday, Graham Potter will drop another PR stunt and say, well, you know what? Some of the new players told me that they didn't have a good preseason for their own clubs before they came here. Uh, and then that'll distract the media. And Saturday will roll around and we'll have leads and there'll be some baffling first team choices. And then, like I said, we'll go through the motions. We'll lose the game, drop points, whatever it is. And there'll be another post-match press conference that will talk about, you know, Chelsea need to be doing better. And I take responsibility. But look at Klopp and Arteta. They had tough times. And Arteta had two difficult moments. And I've been watching his documentary at home. <laughs> Maybe you should just home and wa- stay home and watch that because th- nothing's working in training anyway. Uh, and then the media will come out and say, well, the Chelsea board have no plans of letting him go. And you know they'll give him the time and they'll get the money and all of that and we'll just do the whole dance again after Dortmund and again after Leicester and again after Everton and and we'll just go from month to month with just the same thing and hopefully somewhere along there based on his point per game ratio we'll pick up 9 points and be safe but it's just not good enough very very well said and i think i'll repeat the theme that i said and maybe that's the theme of the episode it's like a broken record. We go around and around listening to the same broken record. And at this point, my ears are bleeding. My eyes are leaking. I don't know what else to say, but it is what it is at this point. Rahul, before we move on from Tottenham, I want to talk a little bit about Chelsea managers in general, just for a few minutes here, because we've had the blessing and the curse of having a lot of managers in our history. And some of them have been absolutely fantastic and gone on to do some fantastic things. Some of them have been atrocious to the point where you and I were calling for the heads way into their time, and Potter has got way more time. Like you said, he's probably one of the luckiest managers to ever go for Chelsea. So I'm going to go to some of the the greats right at the top of the the Chelsea managerial history: Antonio Conte with a 67% win rate, Jose Mourinho 66, Carlo Ancelotti 63. This is a very interesting one, and I, and I wanted to bring it up was managers that got a lot of stick. Rafa Benitez is up there with a 57% win rate. And Chelsea fans absolutely hated that man. He even won a trophy. The board listened, got him out of there, moved on, right? Another one, Luis Philippe Scolari. Chelsea fans had a love-hate relationship with him, started well, kind of dwindled. A 57% win rate. Thomas Tuchel, he's one that's in most recent history. A lot of Chelsea fans love him, still calling for him to come back. 55% win rate. Okay, you're looking at it and saying, that's not bad. I'm going to come down to some of the villains maybe in this case and Andres Villaboas I think he's one that came in to rock the club and we were wondering what's going on here and he had a 48% win rate so you start to look at this and go hmm Jackie's mentioned some names lots of decent managers some that were well hated here their percentages what's Graham Potter's and I think we covered this in the last episode (laughs) Rahul he's at the bottom of our managers list Right now, currently, and I don't know how accurate some of these stats are, but it's a 27.8% win rate. So you're sitting there with some of the hated managers, the likes of Benitez and Scolari, and you're getting to half of what they've done, and you're getting a lot more time than some of them were given. So it's definitely going to be interesting how this plays out, but I'll give you a minute to share your thoughts on that stat there. It's it's not a surprise. It's honestly, it backs up the fact that we've won two out of the last 15 games. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's just not good enough. Look, I under, look, we said in the last episode, we understand everything that's happened since okay. last year, basically at this time when everything you know changed for Chelsea as a club. We understand that. 
we're not taking anything away from the fact that there have been multiple, multiple changes behind the scenes. There have been multiple changes on the pitch. But any manager's job, any coach's job is to motivate the first 11 and the substitutes for a specific game and say, go do a job. These are my tactics. This is how you you perform them. This is what you do. And things happen along the way. Oliver Skip's goal is not something that you can prepare for. But you can prepare for Harry Kane tapping on the back post. So that was a two contra- uh, contrasting points, even in one game where you can prepare for one, you can prepare for the other one. But right now we're prepared for absolutely nothing. And it's just a matter of time in our games where we concede the first goal and then we know what's going to happen. So I can give him a pass on the fact that he's come into a tough situation but he's not making it easier for himself. He's not doing anything to change it himself by just saying, let's get a win. Let's get a point somewhere along the way that I can ease the pressure off my back, off my uh, coaching staff's back. And we come back next week and go again. At this point, you lose a game, you come back next week, you lose a game, you come back next week, you lose a game. There's just no hope right now. And it's sad because like we said, he's the lucky one. We had the special one. We had the happy one. Uh, We've had a lot of ones, but this one is definitely the lucky one because he keeps getting backed and and maybe gets lucky because there's no one else out there at this point that can come in. That's a really good segue to ask the question, Rahul, is should you wake up tomorrow, the news articles read, Chelsea and Potter have parted ways. You dance a little bit. You celebrate because finally you're over the negativity and the broken record that we've been going through for the last month and a half here. Is there even anybody out there that you would bring in at this point in time? There, There isn't. I mean, uh, we've said John Terry on our Instagram post. Yep. That's honestly a, a stopgap or something to make us feel better about, you know, what is going on. Someone that can maybe get the players fired up and, and just do what maybe what Robbie Di Matteo did, which is give the players a little bit of belief. And I'm not even saying win the Champions League, but just give them some belief, which would take them over the line in certain games. But I don't think that's a solution long term. I don't yep. think that's something that we can say, all right, John Terry is the one that can take us into the new era. And there's no one else I can think of. Pochettino, no, Zidane, I don't think is coming. Enrique is not the guy. I'm sorry, guys. I know a lot of you are saying Enrique is, <laughs> is a great manager. He may be, but he's not the guy. So there's really no one. And at this point, you have to say, well, as long as we don't get relegated, we're definitely not making top four. We're definitely not making Europa League. We're definitely not making Conference League. So as long as we don't get relegated, I I get why the owners are like, let's just give him the time and see where, where it ends up in the next month or two, and then we make a decision. And that's where the pain comes from for Chelsea fans because we don't want to see our team fall that far down to the table. We don't want to fight a relegation battle, but at this point... The owners are sticking to it. We're not finding anybody else in the market. I heard the approach Pochettino, and he's not interested in the mess right now. So it may take till the summertime to reevaluate and go from there. But all I hope is we get a couple more goals and a couple more points under the belt. Because at this point, Rahul, for February goal of the month, I think we have an automatic contender, and that's Joe Felix's goal. And he's going to win it by by default because we can't get more than one goal. But hey, let's Don't, wrap up. D- this just, just use the women's team. Just use the youth you team. Go. I mean, they won today too, so... Let the men suffer because they're not performing anyway. Let's wrap up that segment. You bought a good way to transition into the women's team. Rahul, back to winning ways as they usually are. They saved the weekend for us. What can you share with us about the Chelsea women? 
they saved the weekend multiple, multiple times, and this was another occasion. Unfortunately, the game started about half hour after our game against Tottenham, but you knew I was keeping an eye on that one, and honestly, I should have just switched to watching that one full-time <laughs> because I don't know what I was waiting for in our game. We weren't going to get a goal, but the Chelsea women got two, and they got two very good goals, Sophie Ingle and then Sam Kerr on our 100th appearance for Chelsea. I believe that's 78, 79 goals in 100 appearance, Jackie. You were talking about percentages. That's 79% scoring rate. <laughs> that is Talk up about there that. some of the world's best strikers. And so definitely she's up there as one of the brilliant ones. And a lot of Chelsea fans, Rahul, have been calling for Emma Hayes to come into the men's game and shake up this team. And I wonder if that's ever something down in the future. I, I, Emma Hayes, stay away from, <laughs> from this mess because... You're running a good ship with the women. You're doing a great job. And it's honestly a well-oiled machine. I think I've said yeah. that in the past. She was out earlier this season. She had issues, yeah. health issues. She, We still kept winning. We still kept scoring. We still kept getting the results. She comes back. Things just continue seamlessly. And that's what you want, right? It's A manager's role shouldn't be as important as we're putting you know, Potter's role. It should just be something that supports the players and gets them to perform well man management, tactical tactical management, and just being there as a resource for these players to tap into, but doing their job because they were very well aware of what they need to do. And she herself said that. She said, we have the mentality of champions. Yep. Like I said, they were on international break. She said most of the players got back on Friday. This game was on Sunday. Sam Kerr flew back Thursday night. Here she is scoring a goal on Sunday. <laughs> and that shows you the hunger, the desire and what it means for these players to just have the opportunity to play for Chelsea in the FA Cup, which we've anyway won for the last few seasons, yeah. but come back and say, you know what, Arsenal, we are the dominant team. We are the team that deserves to be in the next round. And just take it to them and give it to them on, on, on a Sunday afternoon, even though you've just been traveling around the world 48 hours prior. And another case, I can see managers saying, oh, my players were away. They were tired. That's not that's not what happens here. And and you have to give a lot of credit, not just to Emma Hayes, but all the coaching staff and the players themselves, because it doesn't matter what what the situation is, people step up, they do the job and move on. And I think that's the pride of what you get when you want to play for Chelsea. You want players like Sam Curry, you want managers like Emma Hayes that say there's a lot of stuff going on in life, whether it's traveling or injuries or not having a good preseason, but ultimately you come in on a Saturday or Sunday, you put on that blue for Chelsea, you work your socks off, and you do your best to get a result. And yes, in the women's team, more often than not, actually probably most of the time they get the results, but that's all you can do is just do your best, do something that's going to make the fans proud, and that's what they're doing because it's absolutely amazing to see, and I wish them the best as we continue week on, week on. We'll cover it, and hopefully they keep on in winning ways. But Rahul, you said a few key things that are interesting to me about mentality and how to win things and make sure you're, you're motivated to do the same thing over and over again. I want to transition into the Carabao Cup final and talk about Manchester United and Newcastle. And we'll sp spend a few minutes on them because in similar veins, they also got new managers that had problems to deal with, with the Eddie Howes and Eric Ten Hogs coming into maybe not a big mess as Chelsea, but they did have their fair share of problems to kind of figure out and gel new players and get rid of some existing players and figure that out overall it was a fantastic performance and from start to finish I think the Newcastle fans were absolutely brilliant so I want to give a big shout out to them they made the atmosphere absolutely incredible even when they lost the final they were in there singing their team's name 
having an absolute ball because Newcastle are back to finals where a team of their heritage and their history should be in there. Okay, they didn't win this time, but it's lovely to see the fans just excited for what the future holds. And, and a big credit to Eddie Howe. And then I flip over to Eric Ten Hag, who lost his first game, I think 4-0, if I'm not mistaken. And then he had to deal with the Ronaldo issue and he needed some transfers. And the last day they waited to get Anthony. And you start looking like, man, these guys are a mess. And here they go from strength to strength. They're looking like they might challenge for the title this season, which is absolutely absurd to think about. But they go in and win the first piece of silverware, which I think Jose Mourinho was the one who said, you may call it a small cup, but winning is to build that mentality and start from there. And you can see they wanted it just so hard and so deeply. But what a fantastic episode for the Carabao Cup and how they, they portrayed it. But I'll give you a few minutes to share your thoughts on it as well. Professional performance from Manchester United. They came out. They had a plan. They got the goals. They got the goals pretty quick and killed the game within 40 minutes. And for Newcastle, like you said, it was a sad end to a run that I think they hoped would result in a trophy for the first time in 68 years, if I'm not wrong. So yeah. that's how long it's been. And I think there was 100,000 Newcastle fans that had come down to London and taken over over the city. So they're a very passionate fan base. And I think they've suffered for a long, long time under Mike Ashley. But this is the these are the moments they live for. And I know, like you said, they lost, but they were damn proud of their of their team. And I'm sure they'll be back because Eddie Howe is doing a great job. If he gets a few more players that can, you know, make the difference in these moments, they'll definitely, definitely be there. Uh, but I look at Manchester United, Jackie, and I'm like, a year ago, Rashford couldn't score if you'd put the a goal in front, of, an empty net in front of him. <laughs> Bruno Fernandez was not doing anything. Yes, maybe Casemiro was not even there, so we can't talk about him, but. De Gea was someone that was being questioned. Maguire was being questioned. Varane was being questioned. Aaron Wan-Bissaka, Jackie, was someone that was basically being told to retire or, or quit playing <laughs> the game because he was that bad. And a year on, these guys are in the final. Aaron Wan-Bissaka was maybe one of the best players on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Rashford scores yet again. Yep. Bruno Fernandes is, is leading his team and and you just look around and you say, yes, the players stepped up, but they had someone that was leading them. There's someone that said, we're going to do it this way. And yes, it didn't work out. They lost to Brighton, managed by Graham Potter, first game of the season. They go to Brentford, they lost that one. But then they beat Liverpool, I think it was in their third or fourth game, and, and suddenly things turn around. They lost to City 6-3, but that didn't stop them. They continued to believe, they continued to work. Right. And I get that, you know, players have elevated themselves from last year, and maybe that's what will happen to us. But Eric Ten Hag has come in and, and made some good changes, and he didn't come into an easy setup. I think it was a mess behind the scenes. Ralph Ragnick's thing that was going down, he was supposed to stay, he leaves. Ronaldo, Jackie, one of the yeah. best players of our generation, is there. And Eric Ten Hag has to manage that, and he does a fantastic job supported by Ronaldo's interview, of course, but the club back him, they let him go. And as young players, you're looking around and you're saying, if he can chuck Ronaldo out of the team, out of the squad, what is he going to do to us if we don't perform? And suddenly everyone's pulling their weight and doing a job. And and that's what you want from a manager. Again, he's a resource for them to say, he's the guy we follow, but we still have to do our own job on the pitch and everyone has to, has to plug in. Diego Dallo, Jackie. 
a right back that we mocked and we said, let him play against us because it'll be yeah. easier for our, our wingers. He's someone that's locking down the defense. And, and so it's just players doing their job, fitting into a system, a manager recognizing their strengths and their weaknesses and playing to that. I, it hurts me to say it, but Eric Ten Hag is one maybe that got away. Look, spot on. And I think it's interesting because the Ronaldo situation is what everybody talks about, right? Because you had to be brave. You had to be courageous. You had to make sure you're making the right decision and say, he's not part of my plans and you move him on. And yes, you can talk about it being disrespectful if you're a Ronaldo fan and he did so much for the club in his youth days and coming back. But ultimately, every club is is looking forward. And in my opinion, no player is bigger than the club in this situation. So moving him on was but one big thing. But you look at the English media and how they protect all of their players, right? Benching the 80 million pound Harry Maguire. He didn't think twice. He said, he's part of my plans. Not good enough. Move on. Another English player, Jaden Sancho. Look, you're not performing. I'm going to send you to a training camp. Get out of here. Take that negative mentality out of there. He's back. He's scoring. He's doing well. Bruno Fernandes, we call him Fernandes. Rahul, he's <laughs> running the midfield from the right-hand side. I mean, you look at this, and then we all looked at the Casemiro signing and go, 30 years, 31, who signs a player like that? And he's screaming his head off celebrating for Carabao Cup finals like, we call it the Mickey Mouse Cup, but amazing to see what mentality and, and a big part of it. Yes, the players have to do it, but it takes that catalyst. It takes the right manager to come in and make those changes. And so as much as it pains me, congratulations to Manchester United. I think good for them. They're back up there winning trophies. And so hopefully it's not something that's going to make it harder for Chelsea to win in the in the futures to come. But it is where we are and that's how we're going to go through. But let's move on from the Carabao Cup final. Let's talk about Chelsea versus Leeds, Rahul. I see you smiling. I'm not sure if you even want to cover a preview for that game. Yeah, let me tell you what's going to happen. <laughs> We're going to predict the 11. Most of that is going to be right, but there's going to be some surprises. I think Kukurea comes back in. I oh. think Mudrik comes back in. I think Aubameyang starts in this case because Kai Havertz won't be playing this because he'll be rested for Dortmund. Yeah. Uh, and we'll have a decent start. First 15, 20 minutes, I think we'll do okay. But Leeds will be Leeds. They'll close us down. I think they've just gotten a new manager in Javi Garcia, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so he'll be motivating and he'll he'll get them fired up and they'll get to right around halftime where Leeds will score because that's usually when we tend to give up a goal or right after halftime. And then we'll panic and we'll panic and we'll panic and we'll lose the game. I don't know if you feel it or hear it, but that's my ears ringing and bleeding from the broken record that just keeps going around and it <laughs> happens again. No, but look, I think it's it's tough, but as Chelsea fans, at least we can try to do our predicted 11 and maybe a scoreline prediction. And maybe I wouldn't be this brave this time to go for a win for Chelsea. But let's go let's go with Kepa and goal. I think that's fair. You said Kukureya at left back. Is Reese coming in at right? Yeah, I think so, because we asked me, well, who knows, Jackie, because Reese may be rested since he's played... 90 minutes against Tottenham, and he's just coming back from injury. So who knows? But yes, I think Reese should be playing. <laughs> Reese should be playing. Thiago Silva, I think, will not play this particular game. Is Shield going to come back in, or is he going to figure out another partnership again? Well, just because he can't play in the Dortmund game, I think he plays this one okay. with Fofana. I, I have no idea. <laughs> Look, you need to keep everybody happy. Maybe Chaloba <laughs> might get a, a chance to finally come back and play <laughs> center back. But let's move on to the pivot. I think Enzo is, is going to continue to play. I, I gave my feelings about that in the previous game there. Who's going to partner him this time, Rahul? Is it going to be 
RLC? Is it going to be Kovacic? Is it going to be Zakaria? Is it going to be Conor Gallagher? Is Kante back all of a sudden and he's going to randomly show up? It, those are some great, great options to have. But maybe Zakaria? I, I, I don't know. It's just like a shot in the dark and you see what sticks. <laughs> It's like playing darts with your eyes blindfolded. Yeah. You just hope something <laughs> sticks and we go from there. Uh, three that are going to be behind the striker. I think you said Obama Young strikes, so we're going to stick with that. Who are the three behind him? Uh, Mason Mount. Okay. Mudrik, Madueke, just because they didn't play the last game. <laughs> <laughs> that is a lot more than two or three changes there, my friend, but it's going to be very interesting. I think we say this with a slight bit of a joke in the air, but... Maybe I'm a little scared inside because he's trying to keep all of these players happy that he might end up doing this. But that's the predicted 11. Do you think, Rahul, we can get something out of this game? I don't need a win at this point in time. Can we <laughs> at least hold a clean sheet and go for a draw? I will go for nil-nil. Okay. You've made me feel good. But every time I felt good and I've put up a prediction there, we end up not doing so well. New manager, dirty leads. <laughs> They need the result. They're coming for us. Two nil to Leeds. <laughs> and and maybe that's just reverse psychology, but I, I wouldn't put it past us to let that happen. I need to get to a point now where I predict the saddest I can possibly be on a weekend. <laughs> and anything above that is going to be positivity for me so I can have a good weekend. But look, we already said the ladies can can come back and save us. So maybe that's what I got to hope for. And they, they play in a final against arsenal again so that'll that'll be a tough game and you know arsenal will be fired up but we wish them the very best for the conti cup final against arsenal and uh bring it home girls because Leeds will be will be crashing the party here on on saturday uh but that wraps it up guys thank you very much for listening please continue to subscribe like and follow it's that the premier chels on all podcast providers youtube and instagram and on twitter it's at premier chels uh, and we will be back with a leads review who knows what's going to happen actually we do know what's going to happen uh but until then stay safe and up the chels hey guys the premier chels is sponsored by kickoff coffee they are a top quality artisanal roasted coffee in other words they're champions league winner and premier league winner every single time they deliver fresh bags directly to your home so you don't have to go to a coffee shop and pick up something And the best part about them is every bag gives back to soccer charities. 10% of the proceeds go to organizations that use soccer to promote youth social development in the underserved areas. Use our code TPCOFFEE15 to get 15% off your order. You can order at kickoffcoffeeco.com or check out the links on our social media. Thanks.